0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spoony Barker of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Wolf Break, Florida. And now here's Pastor Jeff Spoony Barker for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew Chapter 4, we're gonna look at verse 18, 19, and 20. So here's what happened. When Shannon and I were away in the North Georgia mountains, um, we went to the store to get some food. We had a, had a little place to cook where we were staying. And we decided we would do hamburgers that night. And so we divided the list evenly between Shannon and I so we could get in and get out. And uh, so she took 18 items. I took one. Um, she knowing my uh, tendency to be sidetracked in the girl. I, I, I love grocery stores. I really do. Like when I go in the grocery store and Lowe's, those are my happy places. I don't know why, but I just, I just enjoy the whole experience of these two stores. And so I went to the meat department and I, and I was looking at all the choices of hamburgers that I could get. And of, of course, you know I was reason, I was looking at the per ounce and the quality, and I was just doing the typical analytical thing that everybody does, right you don 't do that, yeah, choosing burgers is a process for me and as i'm and, and so I was too close to the case, so I stepped back a little bit so I could get a full view of my options and i'm i 'm literally going to my going okay, this this, do I want if I do the roll cheap stuff that 's not going to be good, but it 's cheaper if I do the expensive stuff and and this girl walks in front of me teenager long blonde hair down to about here and and i'm I'm watching her walk in front of me and just behind her like a little duckling is this 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 younger girl probably seven or eight years old around there and this this Teenager has long blonde hair. She's obviously a Caucasian American. There's no doubt that she's uh, she, she's she's born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Just no doubt in my mind that she just fit the fit the mold perfect. And this other girl, she had dark brown hair, longer. She had a flowery dress on, and she had an Oriental uh, ethnicity, and she looked like she had had some facial surgery, some reconstruction and as i watched this little girl went quickly up to this teenager grabbed her hand and then she smiled and again i'm just putting the pieces together and and i noticed that she kind of had a had a maybe a a, a what do you call it, a cleft palate and she smiled and and she looked at what obviously was her big sister with this incredible love and 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 it just it just moved me. So I'm thinking, this girl's family adopted this young girl. Now, that was fresh on my mind because I had just had a conversation that morning with a friend of mine whose son adopted some, some children from, uh, I believe it was China. And, and the children in China, if they have any deformities at all, any type of, 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 of physical issues, they're pretty much put in an orphanage and nobody wants them. And so they, they grow their entire lives, they grow up their entire lives in the orphanage uh, just, just to themselves. And, and, and they're just kind of like extra, right? No family wants them. And my friend's son actually adopted a handful of children who had special needs from China. And so I'm thinking to myself, wow, this girl, this family found this girl. And the excitement that this girl has for being a part of a family. Cannot be even described with words. Then I noticed the back of this teenager's shirt. And this is what really got me. The back of her shirt had two words. Follow me. You ever have the times where God just puts you in this weird... Place where you, you can't describe what's going on. You can't, you can't explain what's going on. You don't even know what's going on. You're just kind of in this, in, in this like, like forgive the, the weird words, but it's almost kind of like you're floating. You're not standing on anything. You're, not, you, you're just kind of like, I don't know what to think of this moment. That, well, that's where I was. And for every bit of 15 minutes, I, I stood pacing in the meat aisle. And I kept looking because this girl was shopping. I kept looking at her. She probably was thinking, Mom, this weirdo old man is staring at me. And I was thinking to myself, if her mom comes and confronts me, what am I going to say? I was mesmerized by her shirt. Really, what, I, what was going on was I was captivated by the simplicity of the message. And here's what I said in that moment. I said, Jesus, that's it. That's really it. Folks, maybe we've made Christianity too hard. Maybe we have complicated our faith. Maybe we have been so intent on doing what Jesus wants us to do that we've forgotten to do what Jesus wants us to do. Now, don't get me wrong. At at my heart of hearts, I'm a theologian. I love to do and to talk, and to dialogue, theology. You know what theology is? Theology, two words, logos, theos, the study of God, right? So theology is is, is what you believe about God. Good theology, right theology, not only is important, but it's mandated. You get bad theology, and you don't know the real God. It's that simple. So theology is so important, but sometimes the church gets so focused on theology, they forget to just follow me. I love apologetics. now you may not know this about me, but I do kind of like to spar verbally a little bit every now and then. now in my in my grown- up life, I'm kind of learning to only spar with certain people, but and spar is probably not the right word, but I will ta- I, 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 w- I would do enjoy it. I mean it, I love to play the devil's advocate. I really do. I love to poke the bear. I, I do I, I like for people to go who hmm, hadn't thought about that and then defend what they think That's, just, that's who I am, but here's the thing. Apologetics is phenomenal, but it means nothing if we forget those two simple words, follow me. All that we do on Sunday mornings, we do it for a reason. We don't, we don't sing for no reason. We sing because we believe that the Scripture talks about singing and offering praises to God. We have a piano and we have instruments and, and we, have, we, we pray and we, we preach. We do all these things for a reason. There's a purpose, but all of that stuff means... A lot less if we forget the two simple words that change everything. Follow me. In your Bibles in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, really a very easy passage to read. Simple concept to understand, but simple and easy are not synonyms. It's simple and hard. Here's what the Scripture says. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed Him. Now, let's get this story. Jesus was walking by the sea. This was, would have been the, the Sea of Galilee. It, it's maybe uh, four or five miles wide, about 13 miles long. Some, some say it's seven miles wide. It depends on what part of the sea you're in. So it's really not a sea. It's more like a lake. So the Lake of Galilee. Jesus is walking by the Lake of Galilee. Now, do you suppose he just happened to be walking by? No, he was walking for a purpose. He intentionally walked by. I imagine Jesus woke up that day and said, On my to-do list for the day, I'm going to challenge, I'm going to call Andrew and Peter to follow me. I imagine that was at the top of his list. So he's walking by the sea, and he sees Andrew and Peter, and they were fishing. They were, as the Bible says, casting a net into the lake. Now, there are three different ways that, that uh, they fished back in those days. One would have been with a hook and a line, you know, throwing a line out. But that was probably not the most common. One of the ways that they would fish from the shore is to use a cast net. This is a cast net. I'm not going to try to throw it because I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't have to throw a net. My son does. And that is the truth. So the disciple, I said, Andrew and and, uh, Peter were probably knee-high, maybe waist-high in the water, and they had their nets set like this, and they were casting. They were fishing. Now, as they were out in the water, Jesus walks up behind them, and we don't know the entire conversation. It could have been that all he said was, come, follow me. But it's likely there was some dialogue beforehand. It's likely, hey, you catch anything? Because after all, if you talk to a fisherman, what's the first thing you ask? Do you, have you kept, caught anything? Are you, is anything biting, right? Is anything swimming into your net? He asked him probably, hey, you catch anything? No, okay, great. Hey, guys, look at me. I want you to follow me. Interestingly enough, that word, or those two words, follow me, have a more literal translation. And the literal translation is this come after me. That has a little different meaning, doesn't it? Follow me seems to be, or, or it could be perceived as, a, uh, as a, uh, uh, just a, a, a lackadaisical, hey, uh, follow me, follow me, right? come after me, is more intentional. It's a pursuit. It's a decision. It's a choice. Come after me. And it makes me wonder if Jesus didn't do it this way. Again, this isn't in the Bible. This is my imagination of how if I were Jesus, I would do it. Hey, guys, guys, come after me. And they just turned and started walking away. I wonder if when he turned and started walking away, Peter and Andrew looked at each other and go, "Hmm, okay. Now, here's what we do know. We do know that this was not the first time Peter and Andrew knew of Jesus. In fact, what we know from John chapter 1 is that Peter and Andrew already believed. Remember, Jesus came to Andrew and said, hey, I'm the Messiah, essentially. And then Andrew, as one of his first things that he did, went to his brother Peter and said, I've got news for you. I found the Messiah. And Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. So there was already belief there. But here's what we need to understand. Believing in Jesus is not the goal. It's the start. Amen? Amen. Believing in Jesus is not the goal. It's not the finish line. And I'm afraid too many church people across our country and across the world, that is where they start and stop. I believe in Jesus. I believe He died. I believe He rose, uh, was buried, I uh, crucified and buried. I believe He rose from the dead. Whew. That's not Jesus' intention for you. That's the beginning point. He says, I want you to believe, but I want your belief to be put into action through follow. So we know that Andrew and Peter already believed, but this was a deeper calling. Now, I'm not sure, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure if you can believe and not follow follow and still have genuine, saving belief? I'm not sure. Part of me says that, well, you can believe but not follow, because you just... But the other part of me says, how can you really believe and not follow? So I'm going to say it this way. Don't take a chance. And don't rob yourself. Or more than that, rob the glory of God by not following. If you believe, that's great. In fact, James says, even the demons believe and tremble. I lean more towards the line of, if I believe that belief is turned into a faith that is a work, not just an emotional exercise or a mental exercise. That's where I lean I'm going to leave that up to you to think about that because at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before God and give an account for everything I've ever done with my life. Here's what I suspect would happen if I believe yet don't follow. I suspect that what will happen is he will say, you did not do this and this and this. And when, when did I? Well, when you didn't do it under the least of these, you didn't do it unto me. That, that's what I suspect will happen. But at the end of the day, for Andrew and for Peter, for me, for you, that belief was the beginning. And he comes back and he says, Andrew, Peter, come after me. Here's what I do know. I know that they had no earthly idea what that meant. I mean, looking at the the New Testament, can you say anything else? Peter had no idea. Of the cost of following Jesus. Because when Peter started following Jesus, Peter was all about Peter. There was a lot of Peter in him. Right? Can I just say for you and for me, when we start following Jesus, there's a lot of us in us. And by the way, that ain't a bad thing. That's a human thing. Jesus doesn't call the perfect. He doesn't call the ones who figure it out. He doesn't call the ones who've got it all in line. He doesn't call the ones who everything's working great. He calls the wreck, the chaos, the mess, the broken, the distorted, the abused. And he says, now let me in your life and I will fix things. Let me say it differently. Let me in your life and I will make things whole. You know, I, I started watching uh, this show last year and I stopped watching it. And I, I, I've been without uh, TV and stuff for a while because I've been gone. And um, I saw that they have a new series of this show called A Million Little Things. You, you can admit it. How many of y'all watch A Million Little Things? Pretty good show, right? I mean, it's. But I was watching that a week or two ago. And, and and I was trying to follow the storyline, because now they're in a the second season. So for, for those of you who don't watch it, let me, let me give you the storyline, okay? So there's a bunch of friends. One of the friends takes his own life, beginning of the show. And then the rest of the season is about everybody else trying to figure out how they deal with that. So he takes his own life, but what you discover is he had a second life, and there was another woman and another son in another place that he was sending money to. He was also doing something freaky with his secretary or I'm not sure if that's been proven or not but it's a, it's a it's out there in the in the the questioning right that's that's not been revealed I guess yet but then his wife the guy who took his own life his wife was having an affair with his best friend and his wife his wife is going to have the baby of the best friend But the best friend's wife is a professional, and she works all the time, but she doesn't know that he and her are going to have a baby, but he's dead now. But then these other friends over here, he's considering taking his life, but his wife doesn't want a baby. She wants to be successful. He wants to have a baby. They're working that out. She has mommy issues and daddy issues, and he I I haven't figured him out yet. And then over here, we have a guy who's... Are you confused yet? Did, are you seriously confused? No, not really. <laughs> You've been watching a show. You just didn't admit it, right? You, you know what? You know what hit me just last week. They're all lying to each other. They're all trying to cover up for something that they're ashamed or embarrassed of. They're all trying to figure out why their life is in such a wreck. They're all trying to make make sense out of what's going on. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. And it hit me. If Jesus were in the middle of this thing, things would be radically different. No wonder... Folks, we look at Jesus' words, follow me, and we're afraid of them. We look at them and we say, well, I'm just, I'm just not sure I'm ready to do that. How, how is what you have better? I mean, you may be able to hold things together for, for a period of time. You may be able to, to, to get your own little world in a certain way. But, but, but what, about, what about the rest of the chaos? What I do know is this, there is pain in life, whether you're with Jesus or without Jesus. The question is, what is the purpose or what is the result of the pain? And who will you go through the pain with? At the end of the day, Jesus changes everything. Life with Jesus changes means life with the Creator, the author, the one who knows you better than you know yourself. And even though you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't fear evil because His rod and His staff, it comforts you like a shepherd does. His promise, no, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I will be with you always, all the way to the end of the age. I can promise you, Andrew and Peter had no idea. They didn't have a clue of what it meant to follow Jesus. They really didn't. I tell you, they didn't have the answers to the theological questions that we were asking. They couldn't explain things. But what they knew was that something was different about this man. And that's where I want to ask you to challenge yourself. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? Is it because it's just the thing to do? It's the southern thing to do? It's the, it's, I mean, what else are you going to do on Sunday? Or is it because He has gripped you? Because you've looked Him in the eyes. Not, not physically, but, but because you have, you have seen the truth of Scripture that this man was, is the Son of God. There's no greater love than what we've seen through Jesus Christ and following any other methodology or any other way will leave you eventually needing and wanting more i submit to you only through jesus christ can your life truly be at peace and truly be at joy because he himself said he who has the son has life he who does not have the son does not have life i submit to you that there are there are questions about the scripture that i don't understand but guess what I don't need to understand them now. I'm going to understand them when God's ready to explain them to me. And my excuse of, well, I can't follow until I know everything. Was it that way before you got married? I mean, I'm just, I, I don't mean to, I'm just saying. I knew a lot about women until I got married. And that's, that's, that's not a slide on, on, on that's a, it's me. I just thought I knew. Bobby, you, am I right? So you're the only one courage enough to say it. Everybody else, is like, I'm afraid it's truthful. And then, guess what God did? He gave me two extra women, uh, it, it, daughters, daughters. <laughs> Just. <laughs> I, I, I'm not. I'm not joking when I tell you. When Sarah was born, our first child, I was like, "Is it a boy? It's a girl." <sighs> I knew what to do with boys. I'm a boy. I'm an expert at boys. Girls, I didn't have a clue. I grew up with two brothers, one mom and a dad. And our dog, I think, was a boy. I'm like, what do I do? Totally. Guess what? You don't have to know how to raise a kid when you have a kid. Did anybody know how to raise a kid when you had a kid? Did that stop you? Apparently, it didn't really matter at that point, right? (laughs) She was coming whether you wanted to or not. No, of course not. Did you know how to do your job when you got your job? If your boss is in here, don't admit that. But everybody else, do you think I knew how to pastor a church when I became a pastor? (laughs) You're like, you still don't know how to do it. What are you talking about? (laughs) No, of course not. We don't know stuff when we start stuff. We start stuff so we can know stuff. Jesus said, come after me. And in the subtext, you don't know Jack. You don't know nothing. You think you know and you don't know, but it's okay because I'm going to show you everything you need to know. If you'll just follow me, I'll give you everything you need. You see, we have a, something that they didn't have. We've got God's Spirit living inside of us. The two of them looked at each other. And I want to go. They go, eh, dropped it. Let's go. What do you have to, what do you have, what has to be there for you to follow Jesus? One, you've got to have some sense of he's the right one to follow. Two, you've got to have some trust that he's going to go somewhere you want to follow. And three, you've got to have faith that even though you don't know, he's going to show you and he's going to work it all out. They left their nets, the Bible says immediately or at once, and they followed him. Now, I skipped over a verse, a very important verse, verse 20. When he says, come follow me, that's not all he said, was it? No, he said, come follow me, and then he said, now let me me tell you what I'm going to make you into. Do you notice that he didn't say, come follow me, and I'm going to make you into a great theologian? He didn't say, come follow me, and I'm going to make you into a phenomenal preacher. He didn't say, come follow me, and I'm going to help you build a great church. He didn't say, come follow me, and I'm going to give you peace and hope and life and happiness and all those things. No, no, no. He was very clear, and he was very specific. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You know what I believe? I believe that we so easily and so quickly turn inward. We do it in our own lives. We do it in our families. We do it in our churches. We turn inward because somehow or another we start thinking that this life thing is about us. Can I just tell you that the Word of God says that following Jesus, genuinely following Jesus means that you're going to be fishers of men. You know, we spent several weeks talking about holiness, which is that's what the Bible says: be holy, because I am holy. Phenomenal teaching; it, it's exactly true. My question for you is this: now, holy for what? Why be holy? God doesn't want you to be holy just to be holy. He wants you to be holy because He sets you apart. He's called you to send you out. It doesn't stop with looking like God because you don't look like God if you're just not sinning. You only look like God when you are chasing after the lost and the broken and the hurting. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Holiness is a requirement for us to be, be filled fully with His Spirit to be able to do the going out. We don't go out on our own. But it's not about just being holy. It's about being holy because we are sent. Amen? We can't forget our mission. We can't can't underestimate what we have. Here's the cool thing. We have the gift of life. And we're not peddling it for a cost. We're giving it away. Lest you forget the power of the the gospel, may I remind you? The power of the gospel. Paul says it this way. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for all who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Paraphrase that. Everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not a paraphrase, that's a direct quote. Paraphrased is, it's for everybody. Black, white, yellow, green, uh, uh, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, uh, 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 short, tall. Everybody fits within that category. The power of the gospel. And you know when the gospel works the best? It works the best when it confronts the broken who realize they have no way out. Two stories I wanted to share with you that remind me of the power of the gospel. I read one story last night. It's the story of a man by the name of Mike, or Michael. He was convicted of murder. This is in 2016. He had already spent several, uh, I guess maybe several months in jail. While he was in jail, somebody shared the gospel with him, and he came to know Christ. When his trial came up to be, uh, so he had to face excuse me, faced the judge for murdering a man, he took a notebook to court with him. Because while he was in jail, he heard a song. And the song was written by, the na- by a guy by the name of Mike Weaver. And I believe Benji Coward had a part of writing this song as well. Mike Weaver is a local kid who's now Big Daddy Weave. They used to be Big Daddy Weave in the institution, but the label took that away from him. So they wrote this song. And in this notebook, this prisoner wrote these words. I'm locked in a prison. And then it, it, my my mind just, the rest of the, do y'all remember that line by any chance? It's redeemed. I am redeemed. Right? Way better than that, but that's. So he wrote the words of this song on the notebook. It says, I am redeemed. He went into into the the courtroom and he opened his notebook and God spoke to him. He said, you need to change your plea. And you need to plead guilty. So this man stood up and said, judge, I need to change my plea. He said, I killed the man I'm accused of. And I realized I took a father from his children And I deserve the punishment of my crime. But I want you to know, Judge, that Jesus has found me. And he turned to his mom and he said, Mom, I want you to know, for the rest of my life, I am going to follow Jesus. Right there in the courtroom. You want to talk about the power of a gospel, what else does that? What else draws out truth like the gospel? What else causes a man to throw himself at the mercy of the court and say, I will take the physical punishment of my sin, of my crime, because I'm guilty and I cannot lie. He said, I have to tell the truth. Let me tell you a second story. A friend of mine whose name is John. I met John on my trip. He was in Montana. He was one of the the elk hunting guides. He wasn't my guide, but I... I asked him his story because he was, he came in late and missed dinner. And as he was talking to somebody else, I overheard him say that he was late because a man was pushing his bicycle that had a flat tire down to the next town, which was about 10 miles down. He said, I just had to stop and give him a lift. But I took him to dinner because he was hungry. Young man trying to make his way, you know, trying to do what it took to do to raise his family. And John said, I just uh, I, d- I just had to do it. And in that moment I go, there's something going on here. Something made him do that. And so I called him up and said, man, tell me your story. He goes, Well, I'm a pastor. I go, Oh, that makes sense. So, well, well, how did it all that happen? And he told me the story. I actually filmed the story, and I'm gonna see if Kevin will edit it and we'll share it later on. But in 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 essence, John grew up with six different daddies. Many of them, if not all of them, were abusive. It got to the point where his junior and senior year of high school, he lived in an abandoned trailer out behind his sister's house. She had gotten out of the house. He cooked for himself, he cleaned for himself, he worked for himself. He basically got out of that situation. But there was so much anger and there was so much hurt inside of him that his outlet, his release, was fighting. And he was known. Now, this is, this is a small town in Montana, so it's not like there are secrets, right? I mean, if you live there, you're one of the 400 people that live there, so everybody knows you. But he said, look, I found that fighting was the only thing that would give me some relief. So I became as mean as I could be. He said, I would go into a room, I'd go into a bar, I'd go to another county over, and I'd find the meanest, baddest-looking guy, and I would do something. I'd spill my beer on him, or I would push him, or I'd bump him. I would do something just to tick him off so I could fight him. He said, I wanted to kill him. He said, and it's strange to explain this, but when I got hit by somebody... The pain actually felt good. Now, me, knowing my rough history, I'm sitting here going, yeah, I understand. Not a clue, man. Like, you want to hit me? Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I done. Mean, of course not, right? I, did, I don't get it. I, I didn't live that life. But as I'm listening to him tell this story, what I'm hearing is this is a man who is far as far away from God as a person could be. Angry, hurt, abused, rough, and then he got into substance abuse. He said, I used everything, I smoked everything, I drank everything, and my life was an absolute mess. But I met a girl, and she partied with me, but we had a child. When we had that child, we moved to California, and when we got to California, I got in with a crowd that was even worse than I was. And he said, one day when my daughter was three years old, my wife and I were having fights just constantly. I didn't know what to do. I grabbed my daughter and I said, let's go get an ice cream. He said, I was wearing an Aussie, Aussie t-shirt with no sleeves. An Aussie Osborne t-shirt, right? An Aussie, Aussie. Not A-U-S-S-I-E. O-Z-Z-Y. Y'all got that, right? You remember this, right? Now, he had an album where there was a bat. And Aussie was biting the head off of the bat. You remember this one? Did y'all not listen? Okay, some of y'all just want to admit it. Okay, Stan, I know you know what album that is. What is it? Where is it? He? He's out doing security. He said, I was wearing a cut-off white T-shirt with Aussie on the front and the picture of the guy biting the head off of a bat on the back. I was wearing cut-off shorts and flip-flops. And he, he, didn't, he didn't say it, but he basically said he had a mullet. That right there was all I needed to know, right? He said, I was with my daughter, we were driving down the road to the ice cream place, and we drove by this church. He said, I'd never been in there, I'd never even seen it before, but I saw the sign, it was a church, and God spoke to me. He said, God said, go to church, now. He said, I was like, what in the world is going on here? He said, it was such a strong voice that I heard, I decided that I would ask my daughter and let her be my escape. So he said, honey, would you rather go get ice cream or would you rather go to that church? And she said, what's a church? I want to go. He goes, you sure you don't want a good ice cream? No, let's go to church. Now let's go get ice cream. Daddy, you said we could go to church. So he turned around and he got back to the church and he walked in just as the preacher started talking. He walked in the doors, he sat down in the back pew. Now remember, Aussie Osbourne shirt, right? Cut off. Now you remember what those cut off shirts looked like, right? There was nothing pretty about it at all. Probably, I mean just... He walks in and he sits down. Everybody else in suit and tie and all that kind of stuff. He said the preacher started preaching and he got madder and madder and madder the more he spoke. He said everything he was saying was directed straight to me. He said he got up and he left. But here's what happened. God had called his name. He went home and he was so disturbed. He said, we got to get out of this place. I'm leaving in a week. If you want to come with me, come. And a week later, he had a U-Haul, packed everything in, and he drove back to his hometown. When he got back to his hometown, his wife actually came with him. He said things started to get better. Their life started to get less chaotic, less confused. And his wife, who was totally against church, religion, faith, Jesus, out of nowhere said, we should go to church. He goes, well, you've been smoking. We're doing good. We're we're, we're, we're finally... She goes, no, I think we should go to church. So they picked a church and they started going. He said it took about a year or a year and a half. And through the faithful teaching of God's Word, week after week after week, God started to chip away the hardness and reveal the brokenness. And one day, my new friend John said yes to Jesus. Today, seven years later, he pastors a little Baptist church in Knoxon, Montana. And here's the funny part: people that know him wonder what in that world happened to the old John. They're confused. What happened to him is he came across the power of the gospel. In the midst of that story were men and women who chose to follow Jesus, and Jesus used them to bring John to the cross. So here's where I want to end today. I believe that you and I are called not just to believe. I believe we are called to follow and I believe there are some in here who have the excuse, and it's a good excuse. I just don't know enough. Perfect. God is going to help you figure it out. He's going to, some of you are going, I'm not holy enough. Okay, great. Let God deal with you on that, but don't wait to start following until, don't wait to get holy to start following. Start following, and as you follow, He will make you holy. Why? Because what does it mean to follow? It means that somebody else is walking where you're going to walk. Okay. That's what it means. It doesn't mean you get a list of rules and it doesn't mean you get a, che- a checkbox. No. It means every single day is a fresh new day. You wake up and you go, okay, what would Jesus do today? You open up God's Word and as you're reading God's Word, your question is... How does this relate to what Jesus wants me to do? And here's the cool part. God knows exactly what you need when you need it, and not one moment before or what not one moment after. Every struggle in your life, you don't have to figure out your struggles. You just have to follow Jesus, and He will unfold them for you. Amen? You would be amazed, if you haven't seen it before, how God will answer your question. You know how many times people after service have said, man, how did you know what was going on in my life that I needed that? I go, hey, God knew. And the best part about it, they'll say, you said this, and I go, no, I didn't, but awesome, right? I didn't need to say it because God was speaking. You follow Jesus one step at a time, one day at a time. And your fear doesn't need to be there. Because you're not, etern- you're not responsible for somebody else's eternity. God is. You're only responsible for delivering the mail. That's all you are. You're a mailman. Rain, snow, sleet, hail. You just deliver the mail. That's it. Every day my mailman comes by. I can't imagine one single time my mailman goes, Ooh, I'm not sure they're going to read this. They don't care. You know, I don't know why. Their job is simply to put it in the box. When they put it in the box, I'll either take it or not. But they've done their job. When you follow Jesus, He makes you a fisher of men. By the way, look at that term. He makes you a fisherman of men. So much. So much I could say there, I'm not going to. Let me close with this. We have this fear that if we follow Jesus... It's going to be this uh, doldrum life, right? He's going to send us to China. He's going to make us do things we don't want to do, all this. Listen, guys, the most fun I've ever had in my life has been centered around fishing or hunting or some activity that, that, that we do. How bad could it be that Jesus is calling us to fish? How could that be bad? How could it be bad at all? I could tell you stories about being on the boat and having strange and scary things happen and in the moment they were scary but afterwards we go, man, that was so cool. You don't get those stories unless you fish for men. I want you to take a moment, okay? Just in in your mind, I want you to count, not necessarily count, I want you to start listing all the things you do Your job, your family. If you have a pen and paper, maybe you can do that. Your job, your family, your hobbies, your possessions, the things you own, the things you want, your trophies, your experiences. Think about all the things you have, tangible or intangible. Take a moment, just think about that. Okay? Imagine you're holding them all in your hand. Now, right now, I want you to die. Right now, you die. Now you're standing before God. You're looking into His face and the glory of who He is is just breathtaking. It's mesmerizing. His glory is beyond anything you ever could possibly have thought or imagined. You couldn't even dreamed it would be like this. And in the background you hear the the angels singing holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come And you feel the the foundations shake a little bit And you know that you're standing before the god who created the heavens and the earth and set the stars in their place who created a life and gave that breath of life to you and who took that breath from you. And as you're standing before the Father, I want you now to look down into your hands. only thing you're holding are the people that you brought to Jesus. Are the things that you did for the glory of God. And in one final act, you kneel before the Father, the God of the ages. Why do we chase after so many things that will never take it?